Welcome to the new and improved Season 3 of The Protectors. We've transitioned from The Protectors to The Protector Life. This means we kind of get a little more deep into the actual authors, into the guests, into the people who are showing up on the show. Tonight is a man who has lived the life of, of one of his fiction characters. Well, he's lived next to those people, as he always likes to humbly say, but we know he's actually been at the tip of the spear. So I do want to give a great big welcome to Brad. How are you doing, Brad? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I should say Brad Taylor because there's a ton of Brads out there, but there's only one <laughs> Brad Taylor, especially when it comes in a fiction world. Brad, you know, you have a great quote and I'm going to read it. Uh, everybody out there has heard it before, but this kind of equates into it really is the Pike Logans out there, the real unit members out there. Yeah. And it's people sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to visit violence on those who do them harm. I love it. That's the truth. Now, yeah, it is. I, I, it, it was, that's all. that was a quote that uh, hung above the bar in a, a team I was on. And uh, I mean, we lived it. That's what we thought. I mean, you just lived it every single day. Now you always, and I, I'm, you are humble when it comes to, because every, every time I do interview prep, uh, from our last interview we had and for this one, you're always saying, well, I've worked with those type of people. Yeah. Let's talk about the real Pike Logans out there. What are their characteristics? What are their origins? Let's just kind of talk about them because that's really what makes up Pike Logan. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Most of them are, uh, um, they come from all over every background there is. And they've learned that they have a talent. I, I, that's what it is. They learned they had a talent. And they had a talent that very few people could do. And I, I'm not one of them. I, you, you say I'm being, you know, humble or whatever, but I, I certainly wasn't. They, they had a talent for doing uh, the missions that we did. And they learned early on that they could succeed by going up and up and up and up and up and up in the military. And um, they thrived on it. They still thrive on it. I mean, there's, I mean, just a guy from my unit just got the Medal of Honor for what, what he did. It's, they thrive on it. What are like you know you've lived that life you've been in that life but I wanted to talk about you were a combatant commander and one thing I wanted to touch on was like you're juggling so much you know you have to do mission planning you have to work with your team you have to do this you have to do that how do you juggle all of this and also you have to be top of your game when it comes to researching the enemy whoever that enemy is at the time, whether it's Middle East whether it's Russia yeah. or whether it's China how do you maintain that tip the spear type? Uh, mentality and physical acuteness or physical awareness. I, I, it's almost, uh, um, you, you just, that's your life. That's what you do. Uh, in fact, when I came down to Charleston to teach at the Citadel, I was just shocked. It was like getting off a bullet train and, and just low crawling. Everybody was doing normal stuff, but at Fort Bragg, everybody was at war. I mean, you were consistently at war. And uh, that's the life you live. And you just, you understood that's what you had to do. And this is how I'm going to do it. And it was a real shock to me to, to actually kind of reenter the civilian world and go, these people are all going to the store and they don't realize what's going on. It, it, it wasn't any function of, you know, learning to do it or anything like that. It was, you, that's what you did. You had to do it. 
What kind of lessons would lessons learned would you give like a, a returning operator, returning someone who lived that life as as a tip of the spear, who's transitioning, whether or not it's retirement or whether or not it's a medical retirement or whether or not it's just they're getting out after a certain amount of years? I'd say that there's always something that uh, you can strive for. I, I mean, when you when you live that world, you uh, uh, you're in a very small fraternity and uh, you live that fraternity. And getting out, the hardest thing is you're no longer in that fraternity. You're, you're now on the outside. And you, you see your buddies, you know, you, I do security contracting and I do things with guys that I used to serve with, but it's not the same thing. And uh, what I would say is the biggest thing you need to recognize is you're leaving a fraternity and it's all, there's always a time to go. I mean, in Moneyball, they say we all play ball. Sooner or later, someone says we can't play ball anymore, and that's going to happen. Uh, but you need to remember who you are and where you came from and not let that be a black and white line. It's just a transition. Perfect. I love it. And that, and that's such – we never talk about transition. We always talk about getting in. And, you know, the military life, the military um, – and any job you have is just a bookmark in your life. Uh, you've obviously transitioned over into the author world, which is great. But um, one thing I do want to talk about, and then we're the military. One more question about the military, then we'll jump into it. Was it's a lot different, I'd imagine, for being preparing for uh, getting an assignment to the unit as an officer, or than it is as an enlisted person. How, what's the officer track like to get into a unit like that? And is a selection the same as from what you could tell I me just... about? It's, there is no difference. I mean, when I went to selection, <laughs> you don't wear a name tape. You don't have rank. I mean, it's absolutely the same. I went through OTC with everybody. It's, there's no difference. Ranger school is the same way. You show up to Ranger school, there's no rank. You're, you get picked to be the squad leader, the platoon leader, whatever it is uh, for that mission. That's what you're going to do. There, there is, it's no, um, all of that is absolutely the same. There's guys I've served with that are, um, you know, some of my best friends. Uh, and you said there's a transition, but, you know, God's honest truth is that was a huge part of my life. And mm -hmm. I, I think about it all the time. But there's all those guys are not based on rank. It's based on the man. Perfect. Every man does something that's either good or bad. And that's what it's based on. And that's what I, that's exactly how I thought it was. And I just kind of wanted to get, get it from the, uh, from the actual person who lived it, how would you, what would you tell someone who wanted to eventually make it there? I mean, obviously you have to, you know, do your time and, and do the right things and not mess up, but giving someone some advice that's, you know, either earlier on in their career or mid career that wants to get into a unit like that. I, I would say that the, the biggest thing is resilience. There is no, um, it's all about will. There's no military school made in the United States military for uh, uh, Superman. You know, SEALs or Rangers or whatever, they're all made for the average person. And they're going to break that average person down until he, the only thing left is will. Does this guy have the will to do it? Uh, and so there's two stages in doing that. It's number one, do you have the will? Yeah, a guy can do a triathlon and whatever else. And then they kind of break you down and say, okay, you got the will, but can you actually think on your feet now? And that's either you can or you can't. Um, you know, it's, it, I, 
couldn't tell somebody you can't train for it. Either you, you can or you can't. But uh, it's all about will. And none of the schools in the military, any military, I don't care what, you know, service you're talking about, they're all made for the average person. They're not made for Superman. It's made for, I'm going to break this guy down and he's going to do, if he succeeds, it's because he wants to succeed. You know, at the end of a 40 mile road march, when you're broken down to nothing, there's people who quit and there's people who say one foot after the other, one foot after the other, one foot after the other. And that's, that's what it is. Yeah. And the other thing is you can't teach common sense. A lot of life is common sense. You just can't teach it. Yeah. And that's when, like, so I say that the, uh, I shouldn't talk about it, but the biggest shock I had was after finishing selection was I actually had to now prove myself in another way. Uh, I thought, woo, I made it through selection. I'm, you know, they're going to, they're going to do whatever it takes to get me through. Well, that's not the case. Now you have to actually prove yourself that you can do something. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I commend you for your, your service and I thank you for your service. I know you probably hear that a million times from people, but truly I thank you for it. I appreciate it. Now, one thing I love talking to thriller writers is that ones who have a realistic background, who kind of put their protagonists into kind of real world situations. Now, American Trader is dealing with uh, Chinese and Taiwan and and I should say China and Taiwan, not Chinese and Taiwan. But putting them into realistic scenarios like that, were you thinking China, you know, a year ago pre-COVID or was this something that came up post-COVID? No, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, I was doing research for Operator Down three books ago, and I was in Lesotho, uh, Africa, doing research. Uh, and the, that book's about a coup. So I had to see the, uh, I mean, I figured I could, I know how to do a coup. So I'm looking at the uh, uh, radio stations, I'm looking at television stations, the police stations, and I had to go see the Parliament buildings. And they had these brand new buildings. They were all brand spanking new. And they all had Chinese lettering on them, which I, I thought probably said something like, we're a hard hat. We're still doing construction. And I asked my person I was with, I was, what's up with all this Chinese stuff? And they said, well, the China's building this for us. And I said, why? And they said, well, they just want to be nice. And I'm like, eh, I don't think they're going to be nice. They want something out of this. And that was my first bumping into real world, into the Belt and Road Initiative that China's doing. And um, it didn't have anything to do with that book, so I shelved it. Well, since then, they've taken over the Spratly Islands. They started building all kinds of stuff. And they, the president said that um, Taiwan is not a generational problem. We're gonna, I'm taking over Taiwan before the next generation. Done his stuff in Hong Kong and uh, started taking over um, artificial intelligence. By 2025, we're going to be the best at artificial intelligence. And I was like, there's a story there. It just kept building up. It was like a slow wave of things mm-hmm. that was building up. And so I decided to write about it. Now, your antagonists obviously are Chinese. How do you and your antagonists are never you just can't bowl them over. You know, Pike Logan needs to have someone who's going to really yeah, he can somebody really can push. Yeah. Him. Um, how do you get in? Like, you know, China is one of those real countries where you don't really know exactly what's going on. That's research wise, research wise. Can you kind of get into that for the yeah, Chinese? That's, that's true. I, I tell you, I've I've, I've read uh, six books on the MSS, the, Mil- uh, the Ministry of State Security, their their uh, intelligence organizations, their version. They don't really have a CIA like like we do. It's it's broken out into bureaus where they do all kinds of heinous stuff. Uh, United Works Department. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's that is known, 
but there's a lot that's not. And so, you know, I'm going to ding my own book here. I did all the research, but am I right? I'm not really sure. That's why it's called fiction. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I did the best I could. I, I've read probably six books on their intelligence organizations and some of the best guys in the world who served over in China wrote the books. And, but just like in America, when somebody talks about JSOC, they'll say JSOC's doing this and I see it and I'm like, we're not doing that. <laughs> what do you get that from? So I'm not sure how accurate it is or not. It's, it's, it's as accurate as I could make it though. I'll tell you that. Listen, you can only go so far with open source, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Brad, I'm really looking forward to the audiobook version of it. I do have the paper book, but if I could have the time to sit down and read a book, I would absolutely love it. Uh, I would like to thank you for coming on. And again, thank you for your service. And thanks a lot for this. This is really cool. I love talking yeah. about I love talking about your books. You have really emerged on the scene. And I, I shouldn't say emerged. You've been at this game for a long time now. Now I have. Considering. Actually, my wife and I were just talking. It was like, you know, you wrote your first book 10 years ago. And I'm like, yeah, 10 years. Really? <laughs> but I, and to me, it doesn't, it's, it seems like you just started the other day because I started in the beginning. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, it's been 10 years. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Uh, wow. Time has changed. Uh, and now I'm interviewing you 10 years later after reading your first book. And I really dig them. Um, if you look behind me, there's the American Trader. I've got a ton of other thriller books. Best book ever. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Brad. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me.